It's Monday, March 5th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke, and we are joined by our director of international programs, Josh Caldwell. Josh will walk us through Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. Today, we are going to look at Luke 9, 51 through 56. A Samaritan village rejects Jesus. This is the end of chapter 9. Earlier in chapter 9, we see Jesus send out his 12 apostles. Jesus feed the 5,000. Jesus foretell his death in verse 21 and 22. And we'll look at that a little more later. A great command by Jesus to take up your cross and follow me. The transfiguration, Jesus healing a boy with an unclean spirit, and Jesus foretelling his death again. There are lots packed into chapter 9. And as we come to the end of chapter 9, this uh, verse 51 through 56, you see the end of the Galilean ministry in verse 50 and 51 begins a very important section that will continue all the way through chapter 19, where the triumphant entry into Jerusalem happens. Between Luke 51, Luke 9, 51, and Luke chapter 19, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, and more importantly, his training of the 12 disciples is a very important time in this book. But it, it really happened more pointedly as they head toward Jerusalem for the final time. You see Jesus intentionally training his disciples. As we look deeper into verse 51 in chapter 9, a change happens. You see these verses detail that Luke gives an account of Jesus resolutely walking toward Jerusalem. Let's read Luke 9, 51 through 56. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Let's look back at verse 51. Oftentimes when we're looking at sections of verses like this during our Bible study time, they come to a climax at the end of the story that is pointing toward Jesus, or Jesus is telling a parable that is giving a great ending. And in this just small section of verses, that climax is there in the very first verse. Let's look at when the days draw near for him to be taking up. These days drawing near for Christ is the ascension into heaven. This is a part of the verse that refers to God's purposes soon to be realized and the purpose of Christ going to the cross to die for the forgiveness of sins. And we see this in Acts after the ascension, Acts 1, 2, until the day when he has taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In Acts 1.11, it says, And men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him 
go into heaven. So this first part of this verse, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, it's talking about him to be taken up into heaven. And then you'll see him foretelling his death in uh, chapter 9, verses 21, 31, and 43. It says this, 921, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The man... The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then Luke 9.31, it says, Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And then Luke 9, 43 through 45, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to deliver into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. He's saying, let these words sink into your ears, gentlemen, that I am going to Jerusalem and about to fulfill the purposes that we've talked about. I'm going to depart into heaven. And you see the second part of this verse, it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Or in other translations, it says he resolutely set out. Knowing the divine plan, he set his face on Jerusalem in order to fulfill the purposes that God had for him. He determined to follow his plan, and he all the events leading up to that show that he was in control leading to his death. Now, this is not... A death, as we know, that was heroic in any way. In Luke 18, 31, which is a, a several chapters later after this, it says, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written of the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Everything that is written will be accomplished here. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. When Jesus set his face on Jerusalem, he was setting his face to die. He knew that he was going to die. And it says he resolutely set his face. That means he intentionally focused his face on Jerusalem, knowing those were the purposes. Now, let's remember that Jesus was fully divine, but he was also fully man. And so he felt pain like we do. Um, he, he had a family like we do. And he turned his back on all of this. This was not an easy thing for him to set his face on Jerusalem. This setting his face on Jerusalem and this road to Jerusalem would have led to beating and spitting and mocking and a puncture from a spear, a crown of thorns on his head, and ultimately leading to his crucifixion. This was not an easy journey that the Lord was on. Verse 52 and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. His focus was set toward Jerusalem and he was going that way. Now, Jews and Samaritans did not get along in this day, as we know that. There's a mutual hatred between Jews and Samaritans. And we can see that here in John 4 uh, verse 9, the Samaritan woman, and she said, How is it to you, a Jew, ask for me a drink, a woman of Samaria? 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You know, crowds of people were, we, we see many places in scripture where crowds of people were gathering, but we also know that through Samaria, there would be um, a difficulty there of Jews and Samaritans getting along and they refused hospitality to anyone that was traveling to Jerusalem. And just as the people of Nazareth, they expressed prejudice toward him um, as a young boy, when he opened his ministry, the Samaritans are expressing oppression to him as his public ministry is coming to an end and they are not going to be hospitable to them. The disciples here, though, they must learn from Jesus about his commitment. You know, when his commitment to to go to Jerusalem, he is committed to do the work of his father, the purpose that has been laid out for him. And as he is doing that, there is going to be rejection um, along the journey. Let's look at verse 54. And it says, And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to come? Do you want fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And the, the disciples, James and John, were the sons of thunder. They were, uh, but at this point, they were focused on somewhere else. They, they were not thinking that Jesus was there to seek and to save, even though they had been taught that. You can almost see them saying, Jesus, this group of people is not going to reject us. You're the king. How could they say that to you? Let us bring fire down on them and consume them. And at the same time, they would have been remembering in 2 Kings that Elijah called fire to come down from heaven on the army units of the king of Samaria. And I really think that Jesus, though, here is thinking and his mindset is more toward loving your enemies. Uh, like in, in Luke 6, 27 through 28, but I say to you, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Jesus had not come in judgment, but he came to save his people. They would learn, the disciples would learn this through the verses to come. Through the verses to come and through the next part of the journey, on the journey to Jerusalem, the disciples would learn to focus their ministry on the sick and the preaching for his kingdom. Let's look at the last two verses here, verse 55 and 56. But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. This word rebuked is a very important word here. As you see rebuked several other times in Luke, that Jesus rebuked the waves in Luke 8, 24. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the winds and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. Jesus rebuked sickness in Luke 4, 39. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve. And then again, he rebuked the demon in the boy. Just a few verses ago in Luke 9, 42, while he was coming, the demon threw him on the ground and convulsed. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Jesus told his disciples that not everyone would like you, not everyone will accept you. He rebuked them to not look into judgment, but to look to the journey ahead. This was the journey that would lead to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. I think there's two things that we can take away today uh, from this journey uh, beginning to the cross. Jesus surrendered to the will of his Father, and we are to surrender to him. Jesus knew that this road was going to be challenging. He knew it would be the end of his life and that it would lead to death and that it was full of difficulty. 
Do we daily surrender to the will of our Father in heaven? Do we pursue things of this world, or are we pursuing Christ? The verses about taking up your cross and following Jesus in Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Are we denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily, surrendering to Jesus? That is our first reminder today, to surrender to Jesus. But Jesus not only surrendered to the journey, but he also, when he was faced with rejection on the journey, he responded with love. We can live a life of love and compassion and forgiveness when we are faced with rejection. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Ephesians 4 says, Get rid of all bitterness, passion, and anger. No more shouting or insults. No more hateful feelings of any sort. Instead, be kind and tender-hearted to one another and forgive one another, as God has forgiven you through Christ. Matthew 6, If you forgive others the wrongs that they have done to you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, the Father will not forgive you the wrongs that you have done. John 13, a new commandment I will give you that love one another just as I have loved you, for you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let us live a life of surrender to Jesus, but also live a life through that surrender that is full of compassion and love when we are faced with rejection. Thanks, Josh. Well, this week we are praying for the country of Peru, and we're going to pray specifically for the children of Peru, that they would hear the gospel and that it would be sustained in their times of difficulty and waiting. Let's, let's pray for the government to create better advocacy policies for the children to be declared abandoned and to be eligible for adoption or uh, to be reunited with their biological families. We pray that God would provide more families for the more than 300 waiting kids in Peru. We pray for the children that are at our partner, not forgotten, and for Jean and Patty as they lead the staff who care for the boys in the home. We want to pray specifically uh, for DGA and the government of Peru and the central authority that they would make wise decisions about orphan care. And, and there are certainly some things they're continuing to work through just culturally, spiritually, and politically with the government officials there. Pray that God will humble everyone to work for the best interest of the children. And, and please pray for our partner and representative Marisa. Uh, we are thankful for her time. She, she has served with Lifeline for over 10 years, and she has advocated for many families and helped many families. And we pray for her as she is getting older and, and, and her health is, is certainly not like it certainly was before. So pray for Marisa and pray for her continued advocacy. Pray for current families that are in the Peru process and looking to potentially adopt from Peru. Pray for families and their home and, and their children from Peru that are already home through adoption. Pray for continued bonding and attachment with these families and their children. And pray for opportunities for the children that have been adopted to hear the gospel and one day maybe even go back to the country of Peru to make disciples. And we praise God for the families who have remained in the program throughout difficulties. We're thankful for their patience in the process and their passion for the country of Peru. Pray that the Lord would continue to give them wisdom and strength and endurance and love for the country of Peru. And then we praise God for some movement and positive changes that we are seeing through DGA and the Peruvian government at this time. So let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for the country of Peru. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to work there. Uh, Lord, to spend our energy and our resources to care for the children in the country of Peru. And Lord, we just pray that you would be with the government, that you would help them to make wise decisions, that you would help them to be courageous in what they do, that you would that it would help them to be loving in what they do. And Lord, we just pray that you would raise the church up in Peru to care for orphans and widows. Lord, be with Not Forgotten and Jean and Patty as they lead the staff there, and, and certainly for Tyler and Allison Fuquay as they lead stateside. Lord, we thank you for Marisa and uh, the work that she has done in Peru for our program. And we thank you for her and we thank you for blessing us with her. And Lord, we thank you for uh, Miguel Kennedy and his family. And we're grateful for their partnership over the years and their advocacy, even to get Lifeline connected in Peru so many years ago. Lord, be with this country and be with her children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.